0: Hey, everybody. It's Axel. Before we start the show, I want to tell you a little bit about a company called Studio Sweden. They reached out and they offered to give me a free pair of headphones if I come on the show and tell you if I like them. I was a little nervous because what happens if I don't like them? You know, I'm not going to come on here and lie. I'm going to have to send them back. But I took a look at the website, thought it would be pretty cool. They sent them out. Let me tell you something. They're awesome. They're Bluetooth headphones, wireless, they pair with your phone in about two seconds, and not only that, they're super high quality. This isn't cheap stuff, man. These are really comfortable on your ears. I'm an audio video guy. I've been making movies and stuff for like 20 years. And headphones, you keep them on your head too long, you feel like you got a headache. I got a big Irish head. I feel like they're squeezing me. They don't feel like that. They pair, they have like a 30-foot range, 24 hour battery. Um, if you leave them alone, you can leave them alone for like 20 days and the battery will hold. They're just really high quality. So check it out. Go to studiosweden.com, sweden.com. Use the code WINTERFELL15. That's WINTERFELL15 because you'll get 15% off of any purchase. Uh, these are great quality headphones. You've got to get a pair of headphones like this. It really changes the way you do things. And for me as a stay-at-home dad... It's an added advantage. Studio Sweden, Winterfell 15. Thanks a lot. Dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell.
1: Hey, everybody. This is Mike and Tracy, Podcast Winterfell. We are getting into the deep dive, the book reader version. We talk about all kinds of things. If you haven't read the books, I still think you should listen because there's not really anything to spoil at this point. And we'll tell you before book things come up anyway. So here we are talking about season seven, episode three. It was called The Queen's Justice, written by Dan and Dave, directed by Mark. How do you say his last name, Tracy? Do you have any idea? M-Y-L-O-D? <laughs> I
2: say Milord, because like, it sounds like Milord, the way they say in the shell, nice. so that's how I pronounce it in my head.
1: You nice. Know. Yeah, we're going to go little, with that.
2: a little peek behind the curtain there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> behind the Tracy curtain. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're going to go with that, and uh, I'm just going to leave your pronunciation of it. How are you doing this week?
2: I'm doing great. I'm happy with the episode, so I'm excited to talk about it. I think there's some some things going on this week that have a lot of future implications, so I'm interested to see uh, what you think about all that.
1: Oh, it was a great episode. I mean, it was a—yeah, yeah it's pretty hard to deny. This was a good one. Um, and, you know, there were some f- some little flares and things that they did around the fighting and stuff that I've seen people complain about that, you know, I kind of like. I don't know. It was a good one. It was a good one all around. Uh, we do not have Donald with us tonight, so maybe we'll just have a love fest this week. I don't know. There was a lot of love festing going on on Twitter after the fan call in. Uh, I don't know I if you know, had a chance but... to listen to the fan call in this week, but it was pretty killer.
2: I am so ready to listen to it. It popped up on my feed at about 6 p.m. And I didn't have a chance to listen. So I think on my commute to work tomorrow, I will be all in on the fan calling for sure. It's but funny. I feel like I feel like if Donald's not here, somebody has to, you know, hate at least half the stuff.
1: <laughs> don't worry, I'll be like, I really didn't like the makeup in that. Whatever. I don't know, I'll come up with something. <laughs> No okay, okay. I'll come with something. Uh, yeah, the fan calling on Monday was really great. Uh, DJ Tim Hines did an excellent job, and we had a lot of, of really great callers, um, including longtime Winterfell contributors, Kelly and Susan. Who dropped all kinds of, you know, I mean, they just, you know, they got all kinds of good ideas and they notice all kinds of things I never do. And it's always great to be reminded of that. Joe Bear was on, a bunch of different people. Um, so the fan calling went really good this week. And if you listened or didn't listen, but got something you want to get off your chest, call on Mondays. Uh, it's through TalkShoe, you know, and we tweet all the information for you to be able to get a hold of them. They don't, you don't have to have a shoe account, all you have to have is a phone. Uh, and you don't even have to have your own phone. You can borrow a phone if you want. It, it all works the same. You just have to dial a number. So look it up on Monday. Give us a call and talk to DJ Tim Hines about how you felt about the episode. He, that guy is real community-based. You know what I mean? DJ loves the community. He loves interacting. He loves pe- when people make requests. You know, So it's, uh, <laughs> it's nice to listen to him. I don't think I could do it. I think I would talk too much, as I'm doing right now. Uh, all right, let's get into this thing. We are going to talk about location. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the episode by location, as opposed to going by scene, because they kind of jumped around between, you know, scene to scene between locations this time. So I think we're gonna keep it kind of settled, um, going place to place, and that way we can kind of stick with characters and make our way through. So uh, we open on another grand sweeping beach shot as Jon Snow and Davos arrive. Uh, they are welcomed by Missandei. She makes sure that they don't have anything sharp when they walk in the door, and uh, they go in and talk to Daenerys. This was the big John and Danny face to face. Didn't really feel like love at first sight. What did you think?
2: No, and you know the ultra formality from Missandei, I think, really threw John, you know, and Davos for a loop because they're so not formal. And it kind of reminds me of when Ned went to King's Landing and that like King's Landing butler guy greeted him and he was like super formal. And Ned's like, what? Like, are you kidding me? And like, I just want to go to my room or whatever. Like these Northerners, they're not prepared for for all of that. And I think Daenerys is is so uh, intent on showing her power. Like she's using that formality as a way to kind of say, Take me seriously,
1: but did it work? I mean, did it make a difference?
2: Um I think you kind of threw him off a little bit. I think he would have taken her seriously, but she doesn't know that um I don't know I so, thought okay, that's Ms. an
1: interesting point. It threw him off, but it didn't necessarily change the outcome, but it definitely right. kind of tripped him up,
2: yeah, yeah, I he don't did think kind
1: of she... have to give Davos the wink and a nod to get him yeah, to take like. Him in the north.
2: Right, like uh you know, she didn't introduce herself. So like
1: <laughs> <laughs> Get it together. Don't. don't make me hire Missonde.
2: Yeah. And you know, when Davo said this place has changed, I really wasn't sure what he meant. Like was he complimenting Missonde because, you know, there weren't like pretty people there before or like I I couldn't figure it out. What was your take on that? Uh,
1: I kind of, I don't know. I mean, I guess I kind of thought maybe, because the only thing we've seen change, right, is the, like, banners that are apparently hung with the thinnest possible thread, because every time somebody takes a castle, they just walk over and yank <laughs> the banner down. <laughs> you need to get stronger string on those things. <laughs> uh, but we haven't really seen a lot of redecoration, I guess, right? So I kind of took it more as a statement about his mission, you know, um, and his experience of it really than the place itself. Uh, but that's a, that, that's a bullshit interpretation that really doesn't mean anything, which is a long way of saying, I don't know. That's a good
2: question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and like the whole walk up at first, I was just like, oh my God, are we seriously going to like walk this whole thing with them? And then when the dragon came, I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> that to me was like an awesome way to show a like, even though that, you know, the dragons exist or like you do believe that she has them. That's one thing. Seeing it, feeling the wind, you yeah. know, as it sort of like flies over you is yep. a, a totally different thing. So it's sort of like saying like, you know, this is real. This is happening. You know, like, is this real life? Yes. Here we are.
1: Right. Right. And he uh, he reacted appropriately, I think. I don't know what else you do when a dragon flies over your head screaming. <laughs> and
2: nobody else ducked, right? It was just the newcomers who were like, holy! You know, but everybody else was like, oh, yeah, there's, you know. Right. There's, there's a little guy doing his thing. Yeah. It was, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I saw some people uh, on, I guess it was Twitter, pointing out how the dragon came by right when he said, uh, I'm not a Stark, and then mm. the dragon enters.
1: Mm. Yep. Sure enough, that happened. Sure enough. That was pretty good. I mean, you know, that requires a little bit of uh, creative interpretation or whatever, mm-hmm. but yeah, I really enjoyed that moment myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. And so uh, John meets Danny. You know, she tells him he's got to bend the knee. He tells her he's not gonna. He calls everybody children. You know, she's. He asks if she's. He's her prisoner. You know, all those. I felt like it was a a fairly. You know, it's a pretty by the number scene. You know what I mean? Like you kind of got. I mean, didn't you kind of get what you expected? I mean, they're either gonna write that, or they're just gonna like. Oh my God! I've been waiting for you my whole life, or something. But they're not yeah. gonna do that, you know? Right? <laughs> no. Of course they're not. Of course, this isn't gonna go smooth. You know, she's gonna demand allegiance. He's gonna be like, "Come on, we got things to pay attention to." Um, you know, it was interesting because I, the first scene with them together, was I enjoyed, but I it didn't really blow me away. You know, like I said, kind of by the numbers. But I was. I found myself emotionally involved in the scene with them outside in a way that I did not expect. And it wasn't necessarily, it was less formal, right? Because it's just the two mm-hmm. of them, you know? And I think that that contributed something to it. Um, but the moment where, you know, because you got the good joke about, you know, like, oh, you've been talking to Tyrion. We all, you know, enjoy what we're good at. And you're just kind of like, everything's like, haha, like, right, Tyrion talks a lot, blah blah. And then John says, not me. And I don't know what it was, or I'm not, or whatever his line was. And I'm not sure what it was about that moment. But, man, that moment really just got me, um, you know, I don't know, by the throat, I guess. I don't know how to say it. Like, And, and that scene ended up becoming really powerful uh, in a way that I totally
2: did not expect. I don't know. Yeah, I guess, like, John doesn't want to fight anymore. John doesn't want to have to kill, you know? Like, he would much rather live peacefully. So, I mean, it's interesting because she kind of paused before she said everything. She like kept taking a breath and a beat. So she's definitely considering everything really carefully. And I, I feel like she, I don't want to say trust him. That's like a, a, it's not even a matter of trust, but I think she feels that this is worth it. This is valuable. And she's in. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like she can sort of understand who he is a little bit better. And maybe when he said that line, like, that was what pushed her over.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that she, I think, in in the way, you know what, in the way that she talked to Tyrion after uh, she broke up with Dario, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, after their big finishing scene, and she's talking to Tyrion, and they're in the the throne room in Marine, right? And she's like, "I didn't feel a thing. I'm just ready to get it moving. Like, let's go, you know, right?" And there, there's a, a kind of um, melancholy to that line for her. Like, I felt like she said it in a way that she. Was kind of acknowledging the fact that that she maybe should have felt some kind of way about it, you know, that she didn't. Um, and so I kind of I that was that was what that really reminded, that moment really reminded me of was this idea that she almost wishes that she didn't want so bad to just get on a dragon and go burn all of Euron's boats, right? Which <laughs> was her suggestion. Like, yeah. We don't, we don't need to send the boats. I got dragons. That shit is made out of wood. Let's go. You yeah. Know? And they had to talk her out of it. Um, and she was not thrilled with the idea that everybody was against her. And and I think that there's some part of her that kind of wishes that she didn't have that uh, burning desire for killing with fire. Because, you know, right? Like, if that's what your father was known for, was killing people for with fire for not a good reason. that Right? I mean, if your old man's a drunk... Like you, right. you are conscious of that when you start to drink.
2: It's it scared her a little bit, maybe, <laughs> <I think laughs> when everyone's so. like, no, 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 wait.
1: I think so. I think and and you know, I think that she recognizes that feeling in herself. And in a way, I think that, you know, she probably sleeps better the day after she burns down the Colleen than she had uh, for a long <laughs> time before that, right? She bathes in fire, like you know. So I think that that. Hearing that from him and believing it, which isn't, you know, believing that this is a natural thing to him, something he doesn't have to try to not want to kill White Walkers anymore, to not want to be the one who swings the sword. I think maybe she envies that a little bit. At least that's what I took out of her saying none of that in the scene.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I mean, and this is kind of like something that's been in the back of my mind through all these episodes do you find yourself doing some of the lifting for the writers? Of course. <laughs> Do you I, I mean, I find myself filling in blanks constantly, making up reasons why everything makes sense. Of course. And, and I'm like is this a like is this a sign of only okay writing cuz I'm not saying it's bad. I, you know, it's fine. I'm enjoying the show. I'm happy. But it's like I feel like I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting. This season, especially. I don't know. I mean, to me, I think that, that
1: most of the places that I have to fill in, my own grout, you know, uh, you could you could fill it in in a lot of different ways. And so it doesn't bother me, right? If the, If it's one of these things where it's like what we're being left with is creative choices, as opposed to just like huge, open, gaping wounds, then I can forgive that. You know the timing thing doesn't bother me. Like George talked about that in the books. Some chapters are ten minutes long. Some chapters take a year. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so you could sit down and try to like work out a timeline and of exactly when all these things are happening. And like, well, how many days does it take for grayscale to? Hear? Well, I don't know. <laughs> right. You know, but there are so many different stories going on at once that to try to organize it in that way. Uh, I think, you know, it's just kind of not very fruitful. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know that I feel like I'm doing heavy lifting as much as just kind of, like, forgiving, maybe, is the yeah. version of it that I'm experiencing, you know?
2: I'm okay. just letting
1: things
2: be. Yeah. yeah, the timeline thing I'm okay with. Like, I've kind of accepted it, and now I'm just sort of like, all right, well, as long as I know that is happening... If I can accept it in the book, which I have, I mean, and to be honest, we give them a lot of latitude with timeline, Mm -hmm. with things happening way out of sequence, especially with um, the last two books that came out. Mm -hmm. I mean you know, I can certainly deal with it. But it's interesting to hear you say, you know, that she didn't say any of that, but you kind of filled it in. And it just reminded me (laughs) of how I told myself, I'm like, I'm doing their job for them half the time. (laughs) Like when people ask me, you know, like, oh, what did you think of, like, how is it possible that this thing happened? And then I'm like crafting entire backstories. And it's like, what am I doing?
1: (laughs) But you know what? I mean, a lot of times when I end up, when I find myself in that position, I think that, when I consider the alternatives, I rarely like them better. Like, I don't, nece- I don't know that I wanted her to look at him and be like, oh, I wish I didn't want to murder everybody with fire. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, maybe I didn't need that. Maybe what I needed was her acquiescing to his initial desire and not burning him with fire, you know, right. quelling the flame one more time, right? So when I think about the alternatives, I think a lot of times, my, I'm, my, I'm not, i am I don't like my ideas better, so you know why I, so so I don't want to get too I don't want to get too frustrated about it. You know what I mean? So. Got it. But we're going to talk thing about I this was, a little uh, bit too at the end yeah. because I did an interview today with uh, April Rain, who's a activist and and all-around American intellectual and she's the founder of the hashtag #OscarSoWhite um last year I think that was that really drove a big conversation about representation in front of and behind the camera. Uh, and she's interesting. Like, she talks a lot about behind the camera and, and jobs, you know, and all these different things. And and she does this thing called Rainy Day Jobs. It's really neat. Like, she's a, she's a, you know, she's a smart person. She's very interesting. So we did a long, she also founded with some other people the No Confederate hashtag this week. Uh, and so we had a long conversation about that and about representation in Game of Thrones and in media in general so we're going to talk about that more more toward the end well how did i get to that
2: Uh, no clue but i'm here with you
1: (laughs) how did i even i swear i felt like there was a link when i started that but then by the time i got to the end i couldn't recall the link i was going to bring it back around but i don't remember what i was going to bring it back around to anyway we're going to talk about that at the end enough of that for now
2: uh what were we talking about Dragonstone, man.
1: Dragonstone.
2: So I was thinking while I was watching the scene and I was wondering, what would book Daenerys be thinking? Because she's very different. And I'm wondering, would she just, because if you remember.
1: she's Book Daenerys is very different.
2: Yeah. yeah I feel you, like she'd be like looking at Jon and just thinking like, you know, he's cute or he's not cute or, you know, whatever, (laughs) because she's so focused on stuff like that. I find like whenever she meets a guy, she tends to just comment internally about if she's attracted to them or not immediately. Uh Yep. So I'm wondering if we get you know what we're when we get the book, (laughs) (laughs) will her will she, you know, sort of pick up on any attraction right away whether or not you know it's a good meeting a negative one whatever but in her mind will she already be going there Cuz I don't think John will
1: Do you, no he's that dude he Yeah no he can't think about anything but the night king He hasn't had a wet dream in months even in <laughs> even in even in Castle Black Uh do you think that leaving that at, i mean i have has that element of her character in the book made an appearance in the show
2: i don't think so i right? feel like they have and and i guess it would look bad on screen because she would have to be saying all these things, and that would make her look like a boy crazy or like high schooler. like batting
1: her eyes and licking her lips. Right, <laughs> right,
2: ridiculous. right. It would look <laughs> terrible. I mean, it's one thing for a person to have a private thought about someone's relative attractiveness, you sure. know that. Sure. You know that takes two seconds. It's another thing to force her to have a conversation about it with somebody and who's she going to In Jorah, you know, like, <laughs> it's just really odd. Uh, so there's really no place for it. So I'm, um, I'm okay with that change. Definitely. And she's older in the show. So, you know, the fact yeah. that she thinks that way kind of makes sense. You know, she's a young, you know, she's what, teen, mid teens, <laughs> right? It's just yeah. crazy to yeah. think about yeah. mid teens, powerful, you know, she has her freedom. She's a like freaking castle in the or in the pyramid, you know. So, like, yeah, she's like, hey, he's hot or what's it? He's not <laughs> who looked like, you know, who ended up getting roasted. I won't mention who that was for anybody who doesn't know. Right. You know, like, oh, he's ugly. Too bad. <laughs> and right. like that, that whole idea of that alliance was like, not OK, because like, well, he looks like a frog. Right.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's
2: like, right. OK. <laughs>
1: That's a weird version of decision-making. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and it's kind of nice. I think on screen, this version of her is much better. I mean, yes, she makes mistakes, and, uh, you know, she's certainly not perfect, but she's not, um, you know, flippant. She's not That's a good point. frivolous.
1: That's a good point. In all of the conversations about representation in the show and all that, you know, the the comp- and and the comparison between characters in the book and characters on the show, Danny is much more serious, much more nuanced, you know, much more capable, frankly, than than in the book, where it seems like she stumbles into her successes a little more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've also seen her advance a great deal in the show that we haven't seen in the book yet. So that might be one of those things, too, where she has her sanso walking around telling people to put leather on the armor scene <laughs> <laughs> you know halfway through book six when they get to dragonstone you know, you never know
2: right that. because where we left daenerys she's you know surrounded by dothraki right i mean right. that's it <laughs>
1: right.
2: and john's dead
1: <laughs> right we haven't seen yeah so theoretically john's gonna survive in the books too and mm. she's gonna end up at dragonstone so wow yeah that's a really good point but you know that's but your point holds, even by the time she's surrounded by the Dothraki in the book, her character has not been nearly as, um, it just hasn't matured as much as she has in the show. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we also have in this scene, um, or in this, in Dragonstone, we have a scene with, uh, Melisandre and Varys. These two, like, I was hoping they would just get in a fight and throw each other off a cliff, but that didn't happen. So uh, what did you think about the Melisandre and Varys scene?
2: Um, So I had forgotten that in the show Varys, like, hates magic, you know, or, like, hates witchcraft. I had totally forgotten it until I had watched this scene twice because I'm like, what is his problem? Right. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the whole thing. So it kind of it took a second for the the conversation to mean something. What was interesting is that I almost feel like they they didn't want the dragon glass thing to come up too early, right? That became Tyrion's right. idea,
3: right?
2: Or, or you know, or Tyrion facilitated that whole thing. But if you think about it, right, Melisandre was the one who in the episode before mentioned the long night. And you would think that she would have been the perfect person to yeah. back what John is saying. I mean, and oh, yeah. And something else we could talk about is how John, I guess, doesn't want people to know about the coming back to life thing. But like Melisandre at least understands this idea of the dead coming back and, you know, all this stuff. She yeah. She's just saying, oh, I brought them together. But I'm not gonna help, you know. Actually make it work. I'm just gonna put them in the same room and then and then I'm gonna run off. It, it just was a little odd to me.
1: I already got my ticket on Volantis Air.
2: I'm yeah, <laughs> booked, I'm and I'm out. not paying for the the change fee. So
1: that's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things about where we are currently is the idea that that varies is work. Varus, sorry. We got some, oh, I think it was Donald that was busting balls about the way (laughs) I was saying that, about Varys uh, working with Cersei still, you know, because of how much he hates the magic and and the Red Priest, you know, the Red Religion and all that, you know, Queen of Fire and all that kind of stuff. This is one of my favorite things happening in this season, Um, and, you know, so I don't know if one of them was going to survive, then I would have picked him to throw her off the cliff uh, (laughs) if she didn't take him with her.
2: You're like Heath in the out the window with this off the cliff.
1: (laughs) Man. Don't put him on near a window next episode because I'm going to sound exactly like Heath. Uh, (laughs) So, but I, you know, I like that idea a lot. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I just don't. When she says, I think you're her whole, it's a weird way to use her. And her whole line about, you know, we both have to die here. Uh, I, I, you know, I wish Varys could have kept it together a little better after that line. Because, you know, I mean, come on with her and this. What are you telling me? (laughs) It's just kind of like, why would I believe you at this point? What do you, like, what do you have to give me? You know, Nisa, get out of here.
2: I don't even know what that means, though. Like for exactly. uh, for her to say, I have to die here, and you're about to leave, all right, You're saying something, right? You're saying, I, I, you know, there's a destiny for me that I am accepting, and I'm gonna go somewhere else, and then I'm coming back. But to tell someone that the country that they are currently living in is the one that they will die in, okay? <laughs> like, I'm gonna creepy. I'm gonna take that in stride, you know? <laughs> like,
3: right, right.
2: I, I'm not really. I mean, maybe there's more weight to it, and you know, after two more episodes, it'll mean something, you know, but right now there's certainly a question mark over my head. Like, I don't know if I get it.
1: Also, like if you told me I was going to die in America, like, you know, I mean, I spend most of my time here. So, (laughs) like, well,
2: I don't want to die anywhere else. (laughs) Great prediction. (laughs) I don't want to, you know, (laughs) travel and, and, you know, go to Italy for a trip and freaking die. Like, okay.
1: Catch a Fiat in the side and have to come home in a box. (laughs) Come on. Right. So I don't know what to make of all of that. You know, he made some faces. She whispered some stuff. It was fine. Uh, All right, let's get out of there. Let's let's go to Euron and his spectacular King's Landing entrance. Uh, This was wonderful. Uh, The whole thing was great. I loved it. Euron is probably the most compelling person, like the most compelling actor on screen. This season, uh, you got, I mean, the most compelling character, however you want to, whoever you want to give the credit to, you're on is killing it this season. I mean, Cersei, you know, there's a lot of like machinations and interesting things to think about with her, but just in terms of just watching a person on screen, when he was asking Jamie if Cersei likes a finger <laughs> in the butt, come on, <laughs> that, come on, that was incredible, the look, of- come on. So this was, I, oh, man. yeah, this was, this was just great this is just the great. actor's
2: having a blast you know yeah. he he's having a great time i mean when actors say it's more fun to play a villain right, right it's like things this is like what this. they're
1: talking about
3: yep.
2: yeah yeah <laughs> they can really sink their teeth into it it's much harder to play the straight man you know yeah um have we ever seen anything like that welcome in king's landing i mean i don't even think marjorie's adoring crowds were (laughs) as passionate as what we saw. I mean, I don't know how they got these like commoners to get so excited, but like I, (laughs) yeah, that was surprising.
1: That was one of the Euron's great lines in that scene was, you know, Jamie threatens to have his head on a pike, you know, and how much everybody's going to like it. And you're on set or yours, they mostly just like severed heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And I think right. that was part of what he was talking about, you know, was that welcome that he got, uh, was because he was dragging prisoners. Right. Right.
2: So they probably got like their town crier or whatever to say, like, you know, our savior is coming back with, you know, our enemies. And they're just like, sure, hey, whoever.
1: Exactly. Let me we'll see be a head here. on the pike.
2: Blowing kisses.
1: <laughs> so uh, how is Cersei going to get out of this marriage, she promised him? Is this going to be like just the war that never ends?
2: or? Yeah, the, I guess, um, you know, she says when the the war is won, right? So if they don't win, <laughs> which, I, which is odd because you would think she believes she's going to win it. Otherwise, why do this? Right. <sighs> Maybe she's going to. She's probably planning how she's going to kill him. Yeah. Anyway. I think,
1: yeah. I think if you ex- if you expect for him to not survive the war, uh even if you don't interfere, there's probably a pretty good chance that's gonna happen. I mean, we right. saw him coming down off of that gangplank, right? He was leading the charge. If anybody had a bow and arrow on that stupid boat, he wouldn't have made <laughs> he wouldn't have made it anywhere, right? Uh so I think you can bet on that. And then, of course, she has shown herself willing and able to put roadblocks in people's paths as necessary.
2: I mean, she'll kill a husband if she has to. If she'll kill a (laughs) husband, she'll kill a fiancé or a suitor without a doubt.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt, yeah. And without blinking an eye and breaking a sweat, yeah. So then uh, she goes downstairs, I'm presuming it's downstairs, it looked like it was in a dungeon, right? She goes downstairs, mm-hmm. and uh, we have got a couple of, we've got a sand snake, and we've got the murderer of her daughter. So this is uh, Lena Headey's Emmy tape <laughs> for this year, right or wrong? I mean, really, her and Alaria as well, right?
2: Oh yeah, I saw uh, both of them really stood out. Um, Cersei has this line in there where she kind of chokes on her words a little bit, and it was just great. Uh, This this scene didn't even bother me, you know, like, seeing the women chained up. I I saw a little, just a tiny bit of rumbling about, like, oh, this show loves to, you know, have women tortured or whatever, (laughs) but I I didn't get that vibe from this scene. I kind of saw it just as, Revenge, just pure and simple. I mean, it wasn't for the fun of it. You know, it it was for a purpose. This wasn't just sadism. This wasn't Ramsey, you know, getting some weird glee out of it. This was anger, right? It was sadness. Right. It was love. And Cersei's a little twisted, so this is how it comes out. You know, with this very elaborate
3: mm-hmm.
2: way to make these people pay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And boy was it Oof.
1: yeah uh i i wanna i should I'm not gonna stop everything to go and figure out this out exactly. I'm almost positive it was Susan on the fan Collins show that was talking about um the story of the elder stark uh and which would be Ned's dad and the mad King
2: <laughs> yes, it w- it did remind me of that it was a lot like that.
1: Right, where you're seeing, you know, like where basically uh, one person is, is set up to where they can theoretically help the other person. But in order to do so, they're harming themselves, you know, right. and, and this like, you know, they're pulling on the on the neck and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was leading to the idea that, you know, it's basically referencing Cersei as the Mad King. Everybody's like worrying about Danny going nuts, but the Mad King has already returned.
2: Mm. Wow. Yeah, that cuz he had the the one around the neck and the other one was over the fire.
1: Right. It was the the elder Stark, Ned's dad was standing over a fire and was tied up. Uh and it was was it Ned or Brandon? I don't remember. Brand- it Bra- it Brandon. It was it was Brandon. Brandon, right.
2: And if Brandon wanted to not choke, he would have to let his father burn.
1: Right. And so, so he's
2: pulling away, pulling away at his own throat. And then, of course, when he dies, the father drops anyway. Like, it's just horrible. The father anyway,
1: right. And so, you know, this reference to Cersei as the Mad King, I thought, was really a really spectacular point. Um, and that whole scene was great. And she called Kyburn, you know, the most clever man she's ever met, which I thought was really, like, awesome, you know. I don't know why. I'm digging Kyvern. I'm digging Kyvern and I'm glad she's liking him.
2: And he's less scary in the show, I think. Like, he's a little more sadistic, if you remember, right. you know, like his dungeon in the book. So, I mean, I kind of can be OK with this one. I, I was a little when I saw that. They were, I guess, with season three or whatever, when we see that Kyburn's going to be in the show, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, a little <laughs> worried about, like, what are we going to learn about what he's been doing down there? And I'm kind of happy we didn't. That's not here because right. this Kyburn is just sort of like a creepy mad scientist guy.
1: He seems very effective, very efficient. Yes. You know, he's always just wants the to answer please. right on time.
2: Yeah. What do you need, my late like he'll anything she needs, he'll work on it. Like I don't know. I guess everybody needs a Kyburn.
1: <laughs> oh my god. What would the world be if everybody had a Kyburn? Oh my god. Uh okay, so Cersei has this fantastic scene where she commits murder personally, not like having someone else do it by her own lips. She commits murder and she says a lot of mean things and she reflects on and, in some ways, kind of mourns Marcella, right? Mm-hmm. And then walks immediately upstairs to get laid. <laughs> now! Wow! I mean, wow! Is that hate sex? Is that. What is that? I don't know if. Have you ever had revenge sex? I don't know that Uh, I've ever had revenge, certainly not murderous revenge.
2: I can't relate (laughs) to Cersei (laughs) at at the moment. Can't relate. (laughs) But, you know, I guess it's just when you're in your world, you know, your worldview, when you're the most powerful person, I guess you indulge, right? I mean... Man. What, what else is there to do? I mean, I guess there are some people out there who would just start eating, right? And other people right. who would choose to drink. And other people, you know, who would start a fight. Right. Cersei Finds her brother. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, all around, I mean, good scene and everything. The execution was great, all that kind of stuff. But just the mindset of it was just... Wow, just kinda kinda took my breath away, like to be completely honest. You know.
2: And, and she didn't even talk about it. You know, Jamie's like it wasn't uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not bad. I think uh he's <laughs> he has a good trainer. He's not missing, you know, his lower body day, which is good. There you go. I hate I hate it when guys only work on the mirror muscles, you know? Like <laughs> you gotta it's it's a whole body, you need symmetry, you need balance. There you go. And I appreciate it.
1: You need a <laughs> strong base to be able to yeah. swing a sword.
2: Right? Yes, you there do. Um, but, like, it's not like she needed Jamie to talk to her about it to, you know, sort of cleanse, in a sense. It, it was almost like doubling down.
1: Very much so. And, it, it, you know, it felt that way at the start of the scene. But if you didn't get the message, boy, did they bang it home the next day, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean that was a big doubling down, absolutely. And she literally said out loud, I'm the queen, I can do what I want, right? Mm-hmm. I mean uh do you wanna does it do you wanna talk about Bernadette or are we over Bernadette?
2: Oh, is that the the handmaid? Yeah. Yeah, I I saw some speculation.
1: Well, it's not really speculation. She has been Cersei's most trusted servant. She's been around since at least season two.
2: Well, um, n- Not that, but... but, So tell me, what do you think? Go ahead. Let me listen to you first.
1: Oh, uh, it's not that deep. It's just, you know, she's... It's the same actress, and it's, you know, she seems to kind of, like, be moving up the ranks by selling everybody out that she possibly can. And then there's the interesting question of, like, is the haircut mandatory now? Okay. You you know, I (laughs) loved that whole question. You know, like, everybody's (laughs) got to get their hair cut because she does. Uh, You know, just kind of that general conversation around it. Now, to me, I have a, like, you know, cheat with you, cheat on you policy. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of, like, if she's been selling everybody out to Cersei, like, why on earth would you think that she was going to really be loyal to Cersei? She's loyal to selling people out, (laughs) right? Like, which is a completely different thing. So I don't know, you know, I don't know still that I trust her. But I did like the haircut conversation. Okay, your part is probably a lot more interesting than that.
2: No, well, I mean, I I wish I could say I thought about this on my own, but I didn't. I read it somewhere. Um, I'm trying to think of which recap I read that had this in there, but the writer said that they bet that that Bernadette. I I always call her Senel because I think that's the name in the book. So I'm glad you told me her name. That um Bernadette is actually aria and that's how so i mean that's just speculation (laughs) right they don't know they were but i was just like wow right because if i know some people were talking about when that after that moment with nymeria when she said that's not you maybe she you know realized that's not her either and went back to her list
1: oh man
2: and it's like how are you gonna get to cersei like how and you know, her handmaid who probably does leave occasionally and is accessible might be a way in. So when man. you know, they wrote that, I'm like at first I was just like, What? And then I sat with it. Yeah. Oh man. So I mean if that turns out, if it doesn't, who cares? It's kinda of just a cool idea. <laughs> you know, for I'm the reading moment. about
1: haircuts. Yeah, that's way cooler.
2: No, the haircut. Well, the haircut thing is funny because they, they used to say, like, um, actresses would always have a friend with them that was 10 pounds heavier, you know, so, like to always make right. you look thinner, you know. So it's almost right. like, <laughs> okay, yep. ladies, everybody take your turn. Get You're the cut. an
1: extra quarter inch. Where's <laughs> That's the queen it. this week? You're going a little bit shorter. Yep. Sorry. Yep. I was uh I I like the scene and and you know I I just I'm really digging Cersei uh and Lena Headey is just killing it in terms of you know she just is owning uh every moment of I just believe it, you know.
2: She's owning every moment of it. So I think she's great in the role. I r- I really do. And if you think about how Bernadette kind of reacted to seeing Jamie mm-hmm. You know, if I mean Arya I think would jump back.
3: Mhm from that
2: where maybe Bernadette Ooh. had been hearing had probably heard those rumors forever had probably seen more you know sh- she knows what's up already i right. mean why is she you know so the more that i sat with that little theory i, I or maybe i'm doing heavy lifting for the theory i don't know but i Man. liked it and I, i'm going to i'm going to hold on to that one cuz that'd be pretty cool
1: yeah well and that you know uh it's Cersei's statement about, you know, we're going to need clean sheets could have been just another part of the doubling down. Or it could have been because she already knows Bernadette has seen this. Mm. And, you know, it's going to be fine. I mean, you can kind of read that either way, right? So, oh, man. Incest. It's (laughs) really weird. All right. (laughs) uh, Let's go on to... Her meeting with the Iron Bank. I, um, cool scene. What would you think?
2: Yeah. So, I, I miss his hat, but, you know, hey. <laughs> <A. laughs>
1: uh-huh.
2: <laughs> I'm not a purist, but I would like the hat. Right. Um, so, it was interesting how he kept mentioning Tywin. Yes. Yes. And you know that that's all Cersei needs to hear, right? Like...
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That
2: just fuels her. She's just like, finally, these people can see, right. <laughs> you know, that what well, Tywin my never could daughter.
1: somehow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the big thing to me was, you know, Tywin uh, spent so much of his time trying to talk Jamie and Tyrion, you know, well, Jaime really just into, you know, kind of taking on that heir role and all that kind of stuff, and Cersei was so clearly the next gen. You know, uh, Tywin was so clearly Tywin 2.0. Uh, and, you know, it was just... It was great to hear him say that. And more than once, he could have said it mm-hmm. again. I would have been fine with it, you know? And I just... That scene really kind of blew my mind because i she said, you know, give me Fortnite and I'll pay back my debt. And we've been talking about this damn debt for three seasons. You know, we've been talking about Castle Rock being out of gold for two, right? So I'm just... <laughs> killing my brain trying to figure out how she's going to murder this dude from the iron bank and make it look like she paid him (laughs)
2: because it's like you know she has the mountain in her back pocket and while that would be dangerous and risky you would figure okay in the middle of a war some banker disappears while things happen right like you could totally clean that up i think well i so i go ahead What
1: i had put this whole thing together in my head that she was gonna like you know, get a bunch of lead bars and put a little gold paint on them and stack them all in a couple of Euron's boats. And then he's going to get halfway across the narrow sea and Euron's going to start shooting at him. And they're going to be like, oh, dang, he sank with all the money. Like, you can have it, you just got to go get it. So wait 5,000 years until James Cameron invents that stupid boat and you can go down there and get it, right? Uh, And so I had this whole stupid elaborate thing put together in my head. And then, of course... Once again, none of that was had anything to do with what was really going <laughs> no. on. No, <laughs> but I liked it. You know, I she just I'm I'm enjoying Cersei this year. She's taken control. The thing that she has not done yet is really run into kind of any kind of outside resistance, right? Like her her resistance has pretty much all been within King's Landing, and all we've really seen her do is erase that resistance. Until we get to Highgarden and then you see her take another step. But at the point that she's having the conversation with the Iron Banker, she's really just kind of taken over her block, right? Like she hasn't, you know, she's taken over the town, I guess. But as he said, you're in, in, you know, you're at war on many fronts.
2: And like in the other seasons, she kept pushing off Bravos. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to talk to them. She didn't want to see them. She didn't Mm -hmm. have an answer. And now, when she probably still could continue to hide until she figures this whole thing out, she's just like, no, bring him in. Like, we're going to work this out. Like, I'm on top of it. I don't want to make an enemy of the bank. And I'm happy that they didn't (laughs) drop this storyline because they were saying it so many times. Yeah. So I think it's a good sign that they're picking up these threads and, and the things do matter, right? It's not just like, a convenience for season three or whatever that was right it, it matters and it means something so well, i'm, I'm really happy about that
1: of the story you know it became a driving motivator of the story right i mean not like they didn't want to do that anyway you know but it becomes a driving f not only do they not drop it you know they really they really put it to use um, and
2: in the book right we we never hear anything about casterly brock being broke Right. I mean, it never even comes up if, if I remember correctly.
1: Not that I recall. I don't know.
2: At this I, I point, don't like, ever... it's so
1: hard to remember some certain... Like, if I don't have a specific visual memory of it, it's hard for me to recall if I heard it on a podcast or yeah, in, in the I, books honestly, if it's like, I don't you know. think
2: there's ever been a mention of Casterly Rock being in any kind of trouble in the book. So when it came up in the show you know, however many seasons ago, in my head, I'm like, there must be a reason that they're saying this, right? There's, there's no other purpose right now in the show for them to be broke, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense. They're not even there. They're using, you know, the government money, basically. So like, who cares what's going on over there? But, you know, it's interesting that this was probably plotted, maybe loosely, but plotted out, yeah. that it it did, does matter that they don't have any money because they have this debt and they're going to pay it and we see how they end up getting you know getting the money it's interesting
1: yeah okay but how they got the money was so good let's say that's actually i, and we're, I we we <laughs> i can't stick to a format clearly so we're going <laughs> to we're going to save high garden yes for the end the way it was placed in the show right because yes. there's there's things to talk about at high garden Uh, All right, let's get out of uh, what of uh, (coughs) King's Landing, and where do we go from King's Landing? I guess we go to Winterfell, right?
2: Yeah. All
1: right, so everybody's all mad, like, oh, what does Sansa know about leather on a? What does (laughs) she know about armor and blug of blue? And this is, I didn't, I was, what, what else has she been doing? People have been complaining, and by people, I include. Oh, Lord, do I include myself. Like, please don't <laughs> let me... Please don't think for a second that I'm talking about other people. Like, I have been writing Matt about Sansa for, like, four years now. I've been saying to Matt, like, Sansa sucks. Sansa's boring. Turn the page. You know, all these things, right? And now, <clears throat> finally, we see Sansa. You know, I thought this was Sansa's best episode of this entire series, we she was able to go through so many different things so many different levels of interaction and feeling and thought and she you know i was really impressed with her the character and again we've been talking a lot about the actors on this episode we don't always do that but sophie turner nailed it you know i mean went through all these different places and i really enjoyed it um so i don't know like i kind of felt like what else has she been doing if she's not thinking about, learning about, like, how much grain you got to store, or at least who you have to ask, right? Yeah. Like, even if she doesn't know, because that's the thing. If you are actually running things, you don't really know how any of it works. You just know who to ask, right? Yeah. And, like, you're kind of keeping people on task, right? I mean, isn't that kind of... So I I thought it was great. It didn't bother me a bit. In fact, it's. I think it's my favorite Sansa of the series.
2: I think she's great generally. But I will say that, look, I mean, that's what highborn kids do. They learn about the past. No, she hasn't been through a winter before. But I mean, what do you think Septa Mordane talked to her about? Mm-hmm. Things like that. How you survive a winter. I mean, old Nan tells you scary stories and the Septas tell you how to actually run things and what you have to do. I mean, they're training her to marry probably a lord of a great house. So she has to know this stuff. So I I totally like when I saw her doing all that, I didn't for a second think, oh, how does she know? Right. She's educated
1: in life. Her entire life is to do that somewhere.
2: Yes. Right. Yes. They I mean, come on. We know that Ned and Kat did not prepare them for court intrigue, tricking people, betraying, you know, what did they teach you? Armor. (laughs) Right. Make sure you have food, horses. People to work the land like that's the stuff that they learn
1: right and when she said you know this is the safest place to be and the attack coming from any direction and people are going to come here and when she like all of that it sounds to me like she would have heard ned say that you know or if not i mean it just like she's been around these people i don't know that stuff didn't bother me i thought it was
2: great yeah um, i mean and it's like i i think you're right like she needs to show the audience that she's capable, right? Because, you know, she kind of showed shades of it by making Littlefinger come help. But like, that's Littlefinger bringing an army, right? This is her making decisions, being proactive, telling people do this, do that, and it's the right thing. So, I don't know, that just strengthens her character for me, and all the Sansa haters need to just take a seat. (laughs) That's that.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what? I am sitting, and I'm going to remain seated (laughs) as a (laughs) Sansa hater, but I am waving a white flag after this episode, for sure. For sure. I'm looking forward to seeing the next one. Um, You know, and so we've got, and you know, everybody talks about Jorah friend zone, but, but really, Littlefinger's the ultimate friend zone character in this book like and as much you know uh Jorah's like kind of like just honorable, sad, like pitiful. Right? He's pitiful. Like he's the the sad dog. You know, but like Littlefinger is really that creepy friend zone. You know, that friend zone that like you find out has got a hundred pictures of you taped up uh right. in his like basement um, it doesn't
2: matter what you say to him, <laughs> right? Yeah. Whatever negative thing you say, he hears the only positive interpretation yeah. of that. Like when you say something like, you know what? I'm just not interested in dating right now. And he's like, but later. <laughs> so there's a chance.
1: I don't know if oh you watch uh, the Amy Schumer show that she had on Comedy Central for a little while. But she did a sketch called "Milady" uh, that was about, you know, guys... Uh, saying "Milady" at bars and all, and it was, you know, it was very, it was very funny, and it was about, you know, that kind of modern friend-zone dude, you know, uh, and that just like Littlefinger reminded me of that, <laughs> uh, really just so bad in this episode, um, and you know, I think, I don't know what to make of her reaction to it, uh, you know, I think that he's able to get under her skin. But you know what is he saying like everybody's your friend everybody's your enemy you know it's again it's another one of these fortune cookie moments you know it's another one of these horoscope moments where it's be the dragon everybody's your enemy Everybody be thinking fight all wars all at once in your mind
2: it's like i don't know it, what to it do it came advice. out of nowhere but right. this i feel like was a scene that took place in the veil in the books mm-hmm. and sansa was observing little using that mindset and yeah. then they talked about it after and that's more meaningful it, it, so maybe like maybe like the show could have had him interacting with um yon royce and you know him sort of taking that whole like he's my enemy, but he's my friend. approach and have her maybe question him about it. It it would feel more real. I mean, this was just like, Hey, uh, I'm just going to lecture you for a second. So just (laughs) hold on. You're doing great, (laughs) but.
1: (laughs) Which was much more appropriate in the veil. If you think about it, kind of where their relationship was and where her mindset was in the veil. It was kind of an interesting choice to talk to her that way at this point when she's, uh, Wardess of the North? What do you... Ward, yeah, she's... Ward Tricks of the North? <laughs> that, no. that <laughs> no, is that not it. That doesn't work?
2: That is not it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what the what the, the gender term for that, or or if there even is one. Maybe i right. Maybe I'm placing gender on it, and it's just a table.
2: She's the Warden.
1: She's the Warden of the North. Uh, no, she's the Queen. I, anyway, whatever. Whatever. Wanna, whatever this, they, their titles are. <laughs> she's in are. charge. She's, in, she's charge, in charge, clearly.
2: And... Like, it's almost like, you know, he sees her being assertive and he's like, well, let me just remind her that I know more. Mm. So let me just yeah. let, let me let me teach her some stuff just so so I can feel like I'm teaching her something. Yeah. It, it was weird. Yeah. But what he's telling her in terms of the show, the book, whatever. I mean, he's right if you're dealing with people like Cersei, if you're dealing with strangers, you kind of have to imagine mm-hmm. all scenarios. I mean, you could probably, you could probably say Tyrion didn't do that when he right. was making his, his battle plans.
3: Right. So,
2: you know, Littlefinger can be right, but also wrong in his delivery. Well,
1: I mean, and I think that's part of the problem with, uh little finger and maybe here we are talking about actors again is that it seems like he could have been delivering advice like you know make sure you tie your shoes in the morning wipe the <laughs> you know the sleep out of your eyes or it'll be annoying you know like wash your hands because they've got shit all over them cuz you live in nowhere time you know right like it seems it seems like if he was delivering the most basic advice he would kind of like say it in that same way because he kind of says everything in that way, and you know, I've been saying for three episodes now, I love the way Kyburn just says everything the same way, and I don't know why, but I don't like it with Littlefinger, I guess. You know, well, he has so... an
2: odd delivery; he really does. Yeah. I mean, it, it did kind of sound like his climb speech, <laughs> and it shouldn't have. It was a totally different tone. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Littlefinger is weird. Um. Well. On Littlefinger, I mean, did you catch that little jerk that his head made when they mentioned Lewin has a copy of every single paper?
1: No, good he, call.
2: He nodded, like, his head kind of, like, tilted Ooh. back. But I don't know if that means, like, in my head, I'm like, what does it mean?
3: Yeah. Like, is
2: it, is it that he... something's there that he hopes isn't or does he want to dig and find something you know like i don't know what it is because i can't imagine him having like is there any correspondence with his name on it at winterfell that he wouldn't want sansa to know about or shit
1: come on you don't got no emails in your email (laughs) inbox you don't want (laughs) nobody to see come on
2: right come on well, I'm really careful because I use work email for everything.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're not so a good I'm example. Su- but no, I think I'm most super people, you know, uh, have something on their phone they don't want the world to be conscious of. You know, right? I don't know. I mean, it just seems hard to imagine that through all the travails and ups and downs and various loyalties that he's gone through, that there's not something in there.
2: Right? Right, right. I like, mean, did he... Maybe when Ramsey was right, there, exactly. did he send Ramsey? Oh no, which. well, Hm, But they said Maester Lewin. so that would mean it happened season one.
1: Well, but the whole, yeah, I guess that's. I don't know. The whole, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. We got to th- get
2: Kelly and Susan on this. This is Kelly. The
1: only, yes, you're
2: right. Kelly has spreadsheets, <laughs> so she probably knows. she she might have a listing of every um raven ever sent to winterfell we
1: need a kelly uh we need a kelly uh, g document that's exactly right uh a google doc i think well the thing is the negotiation around sansa and ramsey you know surely it wasn't like a two raven like hey how you doing spit on the hand and shake it type of thing. Right. Like, I mean, that had to have taken a while to work out. So even if it is Lewin, uh, well, I guess, I don't know. I guess Lewin wouldn't, I don't know. That's a good, how would that relate to Lewin? It just seems like there would be a lot of scraps of paper around.
2: Yeah. I have to think on that. Uh, you know, what could it be? And maybe they'll just, you know, make something up whole cloth to, Mm -hmm. to fit, the story, which is fine, <laughs> but I, I want to <laughs> think about it a little bit. I want to dig, you
1: know. Yeah. All right. So then Bran gets there, and uh, as Axel has pointed out, he's been uh, chief and hard on the weirwood, uh, <laughs> and he's uh, he's kind of stoned out. We see th- uh, him arrive. Sansa cries and hugs him, and his arms work, but he doesn't hug her back. And then uh, they are out by the tree. And he's like baked out of his face and they're talking about the tree. So how did you feel? There were some pretty strong reactions to this scene.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, on the, just to quickly say, I kind of hate that Mira didn't get a line in the episode.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Cause I, so hopefully she will, I'm going to hold out a little bit of hope that she will. Cause I feel like she can relate a little better to Sansa than Bran, mm. obviously at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but regarding brand i mean maybe maybe this makes sense in the sense that magic should change you mhm and it, it it's it's logical right and that he's different but i didn't expect him to be this different and it's almost like he he forgot who she was or, or like he knows that they're related in that sense it's kind of like if someone has amnesia and you're like oh that's your wife or mm. you know and you're like oh okay so like I like this person great I've
1: seen a bunch of pictures of us that look like they were from 10 years ago so right
2: I guess it's you're like telling the truth <laughs> I believe you but I don't know how to act like this person is my wife because I right. can't remember anything so so it's like he's just functioning he's like I know who Sansa is. I know that I'm her brother, and I can talk to her about things. But like, there's nothing there. There's nothing behind it. And I mean, is he there to just report back to John? I'm like, the whole thing kind of has me a little confused.
1: Oh man, I felt totally different. Uh, I felt totally different about the whole thing. That's really interesting um, because. You know, there was a lot of kind of talk of, like, you just roll back into town and pick that, like, pick that ugly scab. Like, thanks, dude.
2: Oh, that was... You know, good.
1: right? And, and that whole conversation. And I actually um, felt like he was a lot more engaged than a lot of other people seem to feel. And this is the advantage of, like, watching it, you know, being able to have Sundays... Which, you know, not everybody has, right? Like, uh, being able to have Sundays, watch it as it's airing for the first time, turn my phone off, and just, like, talk to my wife about it, you know, and and engage kind of in my own mind before looking out. Because, to me, if, you know, I go, I live in New York, and my family, my immediate family, uh, father and mother and sister, sister-in-law, everybody lives in Vancouver, Washington, right? Like, right across the river from Axel in Portland, Oregon. Now, if the next time I go there, my sister tells me that she is the six-legged frog and that (laughs) she can see the future, I'm going to be like, what the hell are you talking about, right? And no one would wonder why. You know, I was like, that's insane. But then if she turns around and tells me some detail, something that nobody else could know, you know, that, I, I took it as this, as this level of kind of this deep level of engagement where he was getting to the point with her. Like I need to see John and I know everything that's ever happened and it's terrible what happened to you here. And now do you believe me? You know? And so, I mean, how, what else is he going to say? I mean, I suppose he Hmm. could like recount some conversation she had with Liza Aaron or something. But, you know, if you really want to get to the point, man, you know, mm. he, he really got to the point. And I wonder what he's going to say to John. I wonder if he's going to be like, how's that, you know, scar over your heart? Does it heal? It? Uh, you know what I mean? I wonder, like, what right. moment he's going to bring up with John. Is he going to say, like, by the way, a grit's totally a white? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> there's, I don't know. But it seems to me like whatever it is that he's going to bring up, it's going to be something like that, that... Makes it virtually impossible to deny that what he's saying is true.
2: Interesting. You know, did you read ever read the Watchmen, the um, or Watchmen, the no. graphic novel? No. The blue guy. Did you see the movie?
1: No. I'm. I'm. I have a lot of friends that are really nuts about it, so I am tangentially aware. But you okay. should definitely explain things.
2: There. Are, I won't go too into it, but there's a the blue guy who he can experience all of time at every moment. Like he just knows every moment. It's really hard. I read it a long time ago, but he was basically miserable and he couldn't have a normal relationship because of it. And Mm. he like escaped earth and like went some other planet and just like was chilling there alone because nothing really meant anything because you already know how this is going to end. Like you, you meet someone like, let's say, you know, when you met your wife for the first time and you knew you were going to get married, would the dating process be the same for you? If you already knew for a fact how this was going to end, like, (laughs) would you, uh, you would try as hard, right? (laughs) Right. Right. So like nothing means anything because you're, you already know it's, Mm -hmm. it's really odd. I'm probably doing a terrible job explaining it, but that's kind of the thing. So as you're talking about Bran right now, like, it's reminding me of Dr. Manhattan and how, like, he Mm -hmm. just couldn't relate to other people because of the way he experienced the world.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, and And, I wonder
1: just mm -hmm. how far, you know, if he says everything that's ever happened, does that mean he knows the outcome of this war already? Is that part of the reason why he's, you know chief and so much where we just because he already knows how things are going to work out and he's bummed about it if that's the case why did he ever leave the tunnel right like that doesn't make any sense
2: yeah i'm just curious about why he must need to achieve something right Mm -hmm. otherwise why make poor mira right (laughs) this girl you know at least for mira's sake like everything has to like, Bran, are you, do we have to Jojen go? Jojen is
1: dead. <laughs> Hoder is dead. She lost, like, three toes to frostbite. <laughs> like, come on, man.
2: You know, and, I mean, can it really be as simple as, you know, R plus L equals J? I mean, because why? I don't know. So, I, I'm, my why is not why, like, with an eye roll. It's more of, like, I'm interested to know. Yeah. But I want to know sooner rather than later. R plus L equals J
1: is one part of a multi-line trigonometry problem (laughs) (laughs) that R plus L equals J is, you know, an element of. But and an important element. Right. But there's a lot more math to do besides just that. Um, And obviously, you know, brand's a big part of it. But again, you know, back to Sansa and, and, you know, her performance and everything, you know, it would have been easy for her to essentially react the same way to that scene that she did to Littlefinger. Because they're both just kind of like being creepy and saying things that don't mean a whole lot to her, you know. And then he brings up this terrible night and she gets up and bounce. But she didn't. She interacted with Bran, I felt like, with a kind of sense of um, caring before he was like, hey, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that, you know, was different than the way she interacted with Littlefinger, it was definitely different than the way she interacted with Jan Royce, <laughs> right? And I, you know, I, I thought that was good. I was impressed with that. And the fact that Bran did not interact differently with her than he did with anything else, uh, I thought was a quality choice, too. You know, it was good stuff.
2: Yeah, Um. it's interesting, right? Because how do you explain the, I mean, does he even fully understand it anyway? You know, I mean, the way he was taught. He says and then, no.
1: He openly says he doesn't.
2: So, I mean, I guess we have to give him a little leeway here. I mean, he's trying to explain the unexplainables to somebody who is not equipped to understand it. So, yeah, you yeah saying, I mean.
1: Think about your sibling being like, hi, I'm the six-legged frog and I know everything you've ever done. Like, <laughs> oh, I would be God. like, Ma. We gotta take her, the- Ma. Come on, have you heard this? Like, we gotta go get a doctor because I don't know what to do with this. I you love know? that you
2: say Ma, because I say Ma too. <laughs> ma, Ma. ma. Have you heard?
1: Yeah, I don't. It's so, it's so to the point, Ma. You know what I mean? You just get yeah. straight to it. You know, I don't call my wife that. I call my mother that. <laughs> There's a distinction that's not always clear in this town. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, let's go to Old Town. Is that all right? You good with Old Town? Yeah. Man, this show is not shorter than it is with Donald on it, which proves no matter how many lanes you put on the highway, traffic will just fill them up. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's great to talk to you about this, though. Like, I feel very zeroed in, you know? Uh, All right, so we go to Old Town. Jorah's cured. Uh, The maester puts whatever the wand is on him. I don't know what that is, if it's just supposed to, like, tell him if it's sensitive or if there's some magical... Like vibrating powers of it when it touches grayscale.
2: I was scale. hoping you would know if that was like an actual ancient thing that maybe doctors did way back when, but I guess I not. do not. I do Cause not. Because I'm just like, what is that? Poke, poke. <laughs> like, well, it was not. It wasn't. A, it was like resting it right on different yeah. points. So it was almost like um, chi. You know, like right. to see how things flow through the. You know, so he yeah. was like went to certain points. So I was hoping maybe, I'm going to do some digging, see if that, yeah. you know, refers to something real. Yeah. I, I hope so, because I yeah. thought it was kind of lame when I first saw it. <laughs> I thought the uh,
1: the performances there were great. He basically, you know, lets him go. We have a little moment with Sam and Jorah. And then we get to the really interesting scene here, which is Sam uh, in the maester's office. And mm-hmm. the maester tells him, You know, you get to stay, but you got to copy all these things. Okay, now, I noticed two things here. One, those books and scrolls didn't really look like they were falling apart. So, two, if Sam, if those are the things that, because Sam's been walking around for two episodes telling this guy what he wants to learn about, right? And begging Mm -hmm. him for entry and all that kind of stuff, right? And there's also, I think, a distinct possibility that the maester may have found out that he took some of those books. I don't know how. I'm just saying they got librarians. Have you seen that place? It's not Helter Skelter, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they had guys putting away books the whole time. It doesn't seem impossible to me somebody noticed. So if what, he's, if what the Archmaester has pulled here is all the books from the special section, and he needs Sam to copy them, then not only does Sam get all that information, he has a copy he can take with him, and mm. the Archmaester gets around you know, the library, you know, the lady, or the guy, or the, you know who they are. Yeah. You know the look on their, I guess there's no lady library, but you know the look on their face when they don't want you to, like, take the book to the one other section of the library. Right. They want you to be right
2: there. Yeah.
1: That library has one of those guys. That library probably has a hundred of those guys, right? And even the Archmaester is going to get trouble about it. You know, they're going to bother them about it. So... If, you know, he's just going to, like, let Sam in. But instead, he requests them, lays them out on the table, and has Sam make himself a copy. How do you, what do you think?
2: Wow, I didn't even consider that. So, the Archmaester can officially not be feeding into Sam's, sort of, his ideas that run counter to the Citadel,
1: While at the same time
2: Indulging him and saying Hmm, I may believe you But I can't I can't say I believe you Right So let me help you Without helping you
1: He's got the Citadel Library Black card You know, like he can get whatever he wants Yes, yes He's got an unlimited checkout of limit You know, all that kind of stuff, right?
2: Wow, so that would be Ideal, actually (laughs) I mean,
1: (laughs) it's a little bit of heavy lifting But wouldn't that be cool?
2: I like it. And that would mean that this Archmaester is like a cool guy, you know, like he's not a, I mean, I think this scene kind of shows that he is pretty cool in the sense that he could have flown off the handle and kicked Sam out on his ass, you know, but he kind of disciplined him, but also said like, I respect what you did. Like, so that's important there. So I I don't know. I hope you're right.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I liked it. I like the, I like the guy playing the Archmaester. I like Sam it was good stuff uh all right let's talk about uh what do we got here oh casterly rock so there oh, wait was, you know
2: what what oh, no, about no, no. uh this talk two seconds because it's only going to take two seconds yep. theon gets found and dragged onto a boat
1: oh god yeah so i,
2: I mean honestly there's no, i don't want to just forget that it happened but i don't have much to say about it then i'm glad like at least they resolved it right away in the sense that like now we know where he is and we're not like, where do you think the you know, like we right, can just sort of say right. he's on a boat with some gray joys, whatever's going to happen next is going to happen next. And that's that.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. At least we're not like waiting for him to be picked up by Gendry. He's Yeah. We know where he's at and we get it wrapped up. No food drop. Yeah. All right. Good. Good point. Uh, and I would have been just as happy to see him drown. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> then they go to Casterly Rock and this is another. They did another one of these things, like with the poop and soup montage, uh, where they do something, you know, the, where the editing kind of calls attention to itself, uh, where you have Tyrion basically describing the plans, you know, the the back door and how all of that stuff is going to work out as we see it actually happening. Uh, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. And but what I what I really I thought it made sense as a choice because the week before that, you know, we get a big battle, right? And the big battle was done the way big battles are done on Game of Thrones. It's badass. Everything is cool. And so then we're just gonna go do that again. Like that seemed kind of weird, you know, mm-hmm. to, to repeat that that thing. Now they've repeated that thing. They do that thing a couple times every season, basically the same way they did, you know. But they they spread it out enough and they do it well enough that it's great every time. <laughs> yeah, every time they do it, we're just like, I can't believe they did it, you know, even though they've done it before, right? And so, it's to me, it was too soon in the way they usually schedule those battles to just do that again, and so they, they did it this different way. It made sense to me as a choice. Uh, I liked it, and, you know, they gave us, you know, they uh, settled our Grey Worm questions pretty quickly. He survived!
2: And, like... Grey Worm's the only Unsullied we know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so spending a long battle with the Unsullied is not satisfying to watch because Good we're point. only invested in one character. Good point. We know zero of those Lannister soldiers. So I think the choice to kind of let it be told through Tyrion in you know both versions of the fight was perfect because the person that we know the best... Is talking to us, and mm-hmm. we keep the camera on Grey Worm, and we know what he's doing at, you know, through the whole thing, and then that's that. Also,
1: can you imagine, like, if Grey Worm talks us through it, I land my boat, <laughs> I cut your throat, like, oh, I accidentally <laughs> rhymed too close to poem, I stab <laughs> you in stomach, you know? Right? Come right, on, right. Like, it was much better with Tyrion talking about it. And yeah. also, you know, you buy the you buy the back door when it's Tyrion telling the story, right?
2: And we know that. He, you know, he told that story to Varys. Mm -hmm. I guess season two. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean. So if you're paying attention, you're like, oh yeah, he did do the sewers, right? Like they didn't just kind of like pull that out for a convenience.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Yep. Which I appreciate. So yeah, I mean, I'm cool with it. They can have a little fun. I mean, you know, they've been doing this for a while, so you know, get creative. Yeah, it was all
1: right with me. I mean, you know, I don't want them to do every battle that way, but of course they're not going to. So
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) let's just keep it going. Uh, and then we get the uh, the attack on Highgarden, which wasn't really much of an attack at all. Uh, there really wasn't any kind of... It looks like there were, like, 20 dudes. Oh, you know one thing that I forgot? Um, the shot on Impregnate was yeah. spectacular. I mean, that is, like, juvenilia raised to art. <laughs> it just was so... Anyway, it just was really—it was really good. You know, it's not one of those things that like rearranges how you think about life. But when you're storyboarding this show, man, cool idea. Okay, <laughs> uh, sorry, we'll move on now. Um, so they take High Garden. It doesn't look like there's much of a fight. It looks like there was like 30 dudes in the courtyard, and they were apparently all guarding a hundred b- bricks of gold each. <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> why they had all that money out in the yard, but uh, whatever, it's fine. Uh, Jamie goes in and he has a conversation with the Queen of Thorns. That was pretty deep. How'd you feel?
2: I mean, that was just epic in terms of as a conversation between two people.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: My goodness, mm-hmm. how does someone remain so composed? <laughs> so. Uh savage (laughs) i mean you know you're pretty much facing death and you're just like still this is going to be on my terms
1: and in a way the way she in a way when he told her there would be no pain she kind of reacted like she won Mm -hmm. (laughs) like she won anyway in a way you know what i mean and that was, like, you know, we hear about a mobster that dies in his sleep and everybody's like, hey, good for him. <laughs> you know, like, at least there was no pain for her.
2: I mean, it never crossed my mind that Jamie and Cersei would ever know how Joffrey died or mm. who was behind it. it. I just, I never thought that they would get past the whole Tyrion thing. So this revelation cuz i mean Jamie clearly believes her you know like the look on his face was just oh, like yeah. oh yeah and and he never fully bought that Tyrion did it anyway i mean yeah Tyrion said it to him later but during the whole trial and stuff i don't think he thought that Tyrion was behind that right so he's you know she's saying this and he's like holy 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 of course she would protect marjorie you know so now it's also like, what? What does this change for for Jamie? I don't
1: sorry.
2: I don't know if it changes anything for Cersei because, you know, she's of one mind at this point.
1: Oh, she's been but, mad since her mother died.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right, Madison. Jamie, Jamie, though, will this cause a rift mm-hmm. between the two of them if he's like? Tyrion's not the enemy, you know, you're you're a monster, with this whole thing. Like, I mean, she called her a disease. Mm-hmm. R- like... Yep. Imagine telling... It's a big word. Someone that the person that they're in love with is a disease, and deep down he knows. Yep. You know, there's something to that. And she She's will not... destroy you. Yeah. I mean, the truth is what really hurts, and man... She she gave it to him. That was Man. that was the truth tea. <laughs> yep.
1: No. Yeah, and she nailed it, you know. She she uh, it was a hell of a performance and I really liked that final shot, you know, the wide shot of her at the table in the very elaborate room. And uh, they didn't
2: even show her, you know, slump over or anything. Nope. You know, it was almost like we're going to remember her, you know, sitting up, head up. Well, in a way the
1: show respected her the same way Jamie did in her yeah. final moment. You know, giving her that dignity um, of dying alone and and without peeling her face off. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like Joffrey style, not Arya style, but you know what I mean? Clawing at her throat, you know, let alone hanging her outside of uh, King's Landing. Man, good stuff. Hell of an episode. Hell of an episode. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff happened. I I did not imagine them taking Highgarden... I couldn't figure out how they were going to get out of this Iron Bank thing. I kept thinking like that, you know, the Iron Bank had some secret army we didn't know about that was just going to show up and just dump everybody's checkerboard on the floor, (laughs) you know, right? Like, just ruin this whole thing. But obviously none of that is going to happen. She has completely erased the Tyrells from existence, you know. She got, obviously, the... Sam's dad is, yeah. you know, I mean, I was saying when we were talking about initially, I was saying, well, I think he's going to go along, but he's not going to, you know, he'll protect her was kind of what he was saying, you know, like he would protect Highgarden or something. Well, clearly once uh-huh. again, you know, uh, Bronn was there, but he didn't get a line. So that was kind of, he got, he got a line, but Tyrion said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, he even got line. a really good line. But Tyrion said, Tyrion delivered it. Uh, But yeah, that just, I mean, you know, wrapped up a lot of of, uh, loose ends and really, you know, moved us forward because at this point Cersei's now not only paid off her debt, but presumably uh, they might even have made a little money, right?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, so she has the crown lance, the reach, which controls the food. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're right, quite a bit of money. And let me see. So John is or Sansa is controlling the north with John. And and she has the Iron Islands. Yep. Danny's on Dragonstone. And Doran is just there. I mean, do they have
1: She said I cut the head off the Dornish snake? Was, what, so I guess
2: there's just no leadership
1: This is what there. she said to the Iron Banker. So, right. But they hadn't actually, as I as I understood it, before they were attacked, they were on the way to Dorn. Right. Know, they said, like, when we... Oh, yeah, she says, when we get there, I'll treat you to a Dornish whatever, right? You know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Instead of drinking this arbor piss, you know? So, so they're on the way to Dorn. So that would presumably then leave the Dornish army just without a leader that we know, but not without an army. Right, Maybe okay. even... That they are, and sense. they're also, they're on, uh, they're on the water, so they should have some sort of navy, right?
2: I don't even remember about ships coming I mean, we've up. seen
1: ships with the, you know, with the sun spear on it. Right. But so, it I wasn't mean, that many. It's not, wasn't an armada.
2: So are they free agents or...
1: I don't know. I guess. I mean, but they also, like, Cersei just killed the, you know, so sort of free agents, but they're hostile to at least one team. Yeah. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I mean, they might want to fight or not. Who knows? But, so, yeah, you've got Dorne, and and then you've got the neck, uh, which is, I mean, basically empty since the... the, uh,
2: Oh, and they have, um, you know, the Riverlands,
1: well, that, Cersei's got the Riverlands. Sansa's got yeah. the Vale, and the Neck has basically been empty since Ramsay and them left, mm-hmm. right? But is traditionally yeah. a northern strong considered a northern stronghold.
2: Yeah, that's the like the last point, right? But wasn't you...
1: hold on? Wasn't the Neck taken in the whole uh, trip to River Run? Didn't that come up? Anyway, never mind, because are um. I'm just sounding like an asshole right now. So let's <laughs> it's getting late. Let's wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, great episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, I was really happy with it. Obviously, you were too, and we are looking forward to next week, right? Yes. What do you think is going to happen?
2: Well, I watched the next week, so I mean... Don't tell me. My my brain is tainted, so I can't really...
1: Yep, keep that poison on the other side of the river. (laughs) I don't even want to know about it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> see i was i was team no trailer, so I'm letting myself watch next week on
1: yeah 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 no I'm not, i' you no know, i i try to i read all the books but don't watch the trailers because i don't <laughs> i live a, i don't make any sense at all uh all right, so that's it for the show. Let's talk briefly about this whole no confederate thing that happened uh during the episode this season, as I mentioned before, I did an interview with April Rain, who was the one of the founders of the No Confederate thing. And it was interesting to talk to her. She does not watch Game of Thrones. Her husband watches Game of Thrones. Uh, So she's familiar, you know, somewhat, right, with kind of the storyline and so on and so forth and what happens. But because she doesn't watch the show and there are no episodes of Confederate, there wasn't, you know, it's not like we could sit around and break down characters uh, and talk in that way, you know. So we talked more generally kind of about, questions of representation in media and questions of how culture really like affects our walking around daily life, you know, and and the ways that art changes us, Um, which was a really fascinating conversation. So what did you think about that whole thing? Are you hashtag no Confederate? Are you, let's see what they do. What did you think?
2: I mean, from the moment I read that release, My stomach was in knots. Um, It just sounded like a terrible idea from moment one. Uh, I just didn't understand the motivation to tell that specific story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had talked about this a little bit and you kind of brought up, well, it could, you know, be about this. I guess they could look at it from this way and, you know, those different angles that you kind of Heavy brought up.
1: Lifting.
2: Yeah. And I thought, you know, but I love yes. them.
1: I want yeah. it to be good.
2: It's like, yes, there, there is a, a world where you can tell this story in a considered and sensitive and nuanced way. But are these the people to do it, Benioff and Weiss? And, I, and yes, they brought on other people to kind of be showrunners with them and head writers, but I just feel like where we are in this country right now, that's not something that I I want to see. Mm-hmm. I have stopped watching. Like I've I have not seen Twelve Years a Slave. I have not seen. Um, the Nat Turner movie. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the name of it right now because a lot of that subject matter. It's just, I leave the theater feeling awful Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I've learned anything new necessarily. So I'm not really sure who the audience is. I mean, I, I don't know if they think they're going to educate people or change people's minds because those minds don't get changed through heartfelt movies and things like that, so right.
1: if they did, like racism would have died at glory like we <laughs> no, would, no, that would have been ago. it glory at yeah. least like that would have been the final moment,
2: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, as much as I love you know premium cable and peak t v right, I am. Just very cautiously, like I mean, I won't say that I won't watch it for sure. I'll probably give the first episode a shot, but I'm feeling like I'm I might not, you know, like I'm I don't yeah. feel I'm not anticipating this show at all.
1: Well, you know, it's I mean, it's heavy subject matter and it's important and you know, it needs to be spoken about. Um, Axel. You know, it's an interesting thing, because like Axel has been making, you know, Trump jokes and stuff, right, and calling him Lord Walder and all that, and it's funny. I, don't, I mean, if you don't think that's funny, I, you're like maybe a little too dedicated. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but I am, have been having a very interesting experience with Game of Thrones this season, which is that, like, as an adult, like, I don't enjoy very many things uncritically. You know, I I kind of have to force myself um, into. You know, like, it's hard to swim and, like, think about anything besides not drowning, right? Like, there's there's physical things that you do that, that that take concentration, take your mind away from things. But there's very few things that I do uncritically and very few things that I enjoy uncritically because that's my curse. I don't know how else to say it. It's just the person that I am, and maybe I just have read too much or whatever. I don't know how else to be. So this is what it is, right? And somehow, you know, because I worked on the election unit uh, at Fusion last year, and so I spent a year and a half, you know, every single day talking to people who were absolutely certain that the day that Donald Trump was inaugurated, that their life was going to end. And my job is not to dispute their take. My job is to report it, (laughs) right? Like, I am there to present them a platform, uh, and to try to work within that platform, and if you know if they say utterly ridiculous things, it's my job to kind of work with that too, right? But I end up in a in a in a daily sense, you know, very much involved in people's kind of political complaints as as a result of my work, you know. And I don't mean to say that like to denigrate it. It just that's what it is. There, I get very few people who are like, "This is great." Like, this <laughs> thing worked out so well for me. You know, like, let's talk about mass incarceration. Mass incarceration brings Christmas presents to all the boys and girls, you know. So, somehow, this season of Game of Thrones, I am enjoying uncritically. There's this weird level of escapism that I've been enjoying with this season that I have not experienced with entertainment as, as, in very few, very few times as an adult. Um,. And so, like, I don't want to come on here and talk about Donald Trump. I don't want to talk about North Korea and all the things that are happening in the world, you know. And I also know that we have listeners who don't agree with Axel, (laughs) you know, who are are on the, like, let's give him a chance about a lot more than just this TV show, you know. And I don't, like, they don't come here to listen to me talk about any of this stuff. They, you know, they come here to hear us talk about the show, right? And... Uh and and I kind of want to just do that. Not for anybody certain not for fan not for anybody in particular, but for myself, because it's nice to take a break and talk to you and Donald about dragons and whether or not we like Cersei's dress and like Sansa sucks and then great, awesome, because none of that has any consequences uh in my daily life. You know? Um but when it comes to something you know, we talked, have talked a lot about this show and about everything about it, you know, and when it comes to these kind of bigger picture conversations, you know, I think it's important to, like, to take a step back and to say, like, what does she really mean? What is this No Confederate thing actually about? Because you can't explain something about that in 140 characters. You know, you can't do four minutes on Roland Martin, and really get your point across, right? But you can do an hour on Podcast Winterfell, and you can talk, <laughs> you know? Right. You can talk to me about what your purpose is and, and what you think this is going to accomplish and why and all these different things, you know? And it was, um, you know, it was an interesting conversation, and I think it was really valuable. And I think that if you don't agree with her, it's still worth it to listen and give her a chance to explain herself, because if your worldview is in opposition to hers, but your worldview can't handle, you know, an hour of, an hour-long interview without cracking apart, then it was pretty fragile to begin with, right? So I think that when we actually interact with people, even when we don't agree with them, when we try to interact with their ideas, and they are intelligent. Some people can just talk for an hour and not say anything, and we all know that, right? But this is a smart woman who talks about this all the time and thinks about it a lot and writes about it and reads about it you know, and has a lot to say. And I think that that engaging with her in a long form like that is worth it whether you agree with her or not, mm-hmm. and especially for those of us who HBO is counting on to follow... The our beloved, you know, Dan and Dave to the next show, you know, yeah. And I'm
2: sure they're counting on their name being alone. the thing that yes. you know pulls people in at this point. You know, yep. they have a brand now, basically,
1: yep. And they sell that. You know, JJ Abrams sells the is still selling the viewership of Lost maybe not now cuz he's on Star Wars right
3: but like yeah.
1: that was still a part of his resume uh, up until Star Wars you know they are that's a part of what they're doing is selling their past success um and and the implicit concept there is that all of us who are providing them with that success are going to do that again you know, so whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you're you're neutral and you you feel like it's worth seeing, believe me, she deals with the question of why don't we just see what they do. She deals with that, you know, at, in 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 a lot in in some depth. Uh, and because obviously I'm not the first person to ask her that question or point that out. Plenty of people said that to her in nice and not very nice ways uh, mm-hmm. between Sunday and today. So, you know, she and that was another interesting thing she points out is they're not encouraging a boycott uh, of any, you know, of HBO or of anything else. They're just encouraging activism around this particular show, because by the time there's a pilot episode, they've already spent a bunch of money on it. And by the time they've already spent a bunch of money on it, their decision making is different. You know, they've stated very uh, so far. Nothing's been written. There's not even an outline. So they've paid these guys for the idea. But that's a whole lot different than, you know, you see that they're going to be expecting to have the kind of budget they've got on Game of Thrones at this point, don't you think? They're going to want to have fancy costumes and big wide shots and a ton of CGI.
2: Well, yeah, the expectation is going to be there. Exactly. That the quality will not be any less. Right. So. I think it's also important because it kind of deals with the whole hashtag of ism. Mm -hmm. And how social media is being used for people to, especially marginalized people, to reach wider audiences and find each other online and talk about kind of just experiences. I mean, I know I was tweeting during Oscar So White. Mm -hmm. And I think one that I read, but I wasn't necessarily a part of, was Not Your Asian Sidekick. Right. So there's another one. <laughs> yep. And, you know, and like, I'm not Asian, mm-hmm. but I do remember growing up where I would watch these kids shows and it's like one black person, one Asian person. like. Yep. And so while I had my way of looking at it, right, it was nice to read their way of looking at it. And mm-hmm. like, I never would have even thought about some of these things if it weren't for this hashtag that just kind of showed up on my explore page.
1: Yeah. Yep. And I would be shocked if in the course of the hour that I talked to her, she doesn't say something that most people haven't heard before or thought of before. She certainly said things that I haven't heard before or thought of before. And this is a part of my life on a daily basis. Um, you know, these conversations and, and today is James Baldwin's birthday. And yeah. I love him so much. And you can't read James Baldwin without having all kinds of thoughts in your head. And yet, you, you yeah, know, he's similar, like, right? like, along he, the same oh, day. man,
2: yeah, he can be like gut-wrenching.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and she, as you know, I fully expected, made points and, and said all kinds of things that would never occur to me because I'm a different person. So I think it's, you know. Whether, however you think you feel about it, I think it's worth giving it a listen. And, and no matter what, like, she's not going to give you grayscale through the, ear, through the headphones. <laughs> right? So, no. All right. We've been talking for, like, ever, oh and uh, I'm going to get off the phone now and uh, sit around and dream about what's going to come up next week. That's not true. I'm just going to go watch the episode again. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else to say? Is there anything we left out? that's it i think
2: i mean look there's a feedback show so if anything comes to mind i'll I'll get my feedback in there it is to, to axel
1: there it is yeah uh we've been doing feedback episodes as long as we uh not you know as long as we have enough stuff to keep it interesting so send your emails your twitters your facebook's your smoke signals <laughs> your uh i take snail mail totally down with snail mail uh what else You can call me and leave me a voicemail. There's so
0: many options. Mike, go
2: to to bed,
0: Mike. (laughs) Good
2: night. (laughs) Good night.
0: Thank you for listening to Podcast Winterfell. You can find the podcast at DVRpodcast.com. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash DVR. Email the podcast podcastwinterfell at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Winterfell Pod and on Facebook Podcast Winterfell.